Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing this song for the dream. Having spent two years in Togo, West Africa, with the Peace Corps, Africa has a very special place in my heart, and likewise those who befriend this second homeland of my heart. I met Mark Halverson here in Eau Claire through his work at WWIB, a local Christian radio station where Mark is DJ. I met him again recently in passing on the street and found out that he and his wife Peggy and their four kids are moving to Liberia in West Africa within the month. Found out about the work that they've been doing from Eau Claire and that they'll continue to do on site in Liberia as part of Teamwork Africa. Needless to say, I knew that I had to welcome them on my program to talk about their exciting work, but wouldn't you know it, my brother Rex happened to be arriving in Eau Claire, accompanied by a friend from Malaysia, Ruth, on her first visit to the USA at the same time. Mark and Peggy Halverson were so generous as to allow me to sit down in their living room, accompanied by Rex and Ruth, to explore the Halverson's work with Teamwork Africa. Thank you so much for welcoming me and us into your home for Spirit in Action. So good to have time with you, Peggy. Thank you. And Mark, it's good to see you. Good to be with you, Mark. I'm so glad I ran into you at the farmer's market. And actually, previous to that, I knew that you were heading off to Liberia. But the clock is ticking down. Just next month, you're flying off to Liberia to live, not just for a mission trip. But this started with mission trips that you've done there. Which of you had the idea first? Was it you, Peggy, or Mark? We actually had no intention of doing mission trips or doing nonprofit work in Africa at all. Our journey actually started with adoption, and we wanted to adopt a child. And after doing a bunch of research about adoption, foster care and special needs adoption, we came around to international adoption and had the opportunity to adopt a little boy from West Africa. And we were matched with Michael in 2009. Then we found out he had a younger brother, and we agreed to adopt both of the boys. And after that, Liberia closed to adoption. And a few months after that, Habakkuk got malaria. And after he recovered from that, he went back to his village for uh, his grandfather's funeral, and there was a cholera outbreak. And Habakkuk died of cholera. So it was from the loss of Habakkuk that we just didn't want that to be the end of our story, the end of his story, that he died. And so we started a fundraising project and put a well in his village in his memory. And that's where our journey started. So this all started with the adoption effort that you are still in process of, I understand. And for people living in the United States, we're not used to having cholera very often. A couple years ago when I I went to the Congo for a friendly folk dancer trip that I was part of, I got typhoid in the course of that. Now, that's not something you hear in the United States anymore, but it does have to do with sanitary conditions. And so putting a well 
in a city can make all of the difference. Could you describe how that's changed where Habakkuk was living to have a well? The village that Michael and Habakkuk lived in is called Pelatiama. It's a very typical small little village in the jungles of West Africa. It's a rainforest area, so there's a lot of surface water, and there's a swamp area, a slow-moving stream that's right outside the village, and that's where people, since the history of the village, have always gotten their water. The problem with that is that every time it rains, all of the surface water runs right into that little creek, And it's contaminated with all kinds of bacteria, cholera, typhoid, dysentery diseases. And that's the water that the people drink. They don't have any other options. And so when a well goes in, and we do hand-dug wells now, so that, you know, kind of getting ahead of the story, the well that we put in there was hand-dug. It goes down, you know, 40, 50 feet deep with cement culverts, and it's contained. So it's getting clean water from the ground, and then there's a hand pump, and people come morning and night to pump fresh, clean water. And the difference is almost instant. Within months, the children stop having diarrhea. All the disease goes away, and the people, their lives are different. I assume you do things in partnership in this family, that you work things out and make these decisions. The adoption route, who was more eager to have a child? Were you eager for number five, Mark? Even when Peggy was pregnant with our fourth child in the winter of 2005, we were at church in downtown Eau Claire one Sunday, and she had a sense in which God was telling her that you have a son in Africa. And so she went out into the lobby regarding that, and some folks we know that had been very involved in international missions, many trips to Mexico, and I think maybe by that time to Africa even. I think, yeah, at that point, actually their their daughter, I think, had maybe even gotten involved in Botswana. They prayed with her, and so by the time she gave birth on June 11, 2005, yeah, I, I tell people, like, she was already ready to, like, be pursuing the adoption then. And I was like, whoa, you know, we got four kids. We need some time. And I officially needed about a year and a half, and it was November of 2006. And the station I work for, WWIB, a Christian FM here in western Wisconsin, they were airing a show, um, which they air Sunday mornings, called Focus on the Family Weekend. And so Stephen Curtis Chapman, a contemporary Christian artist, he and his wife had adopted three little girls from China. And kicking off Adoption Awareness Month, he quoted John Piper, longtime pastor from Bethlehem Baptist in the Twin Cities, as saying that adoption is the living gospel. And when I heard him say that, it was pretty shortly after that that I went to Peggy, maybe even that day, and said, you know what, let's start to pursue adoption. Those words really impacted me, and I felt like, all right, we've had our time. And so that's where we began with Liberia. I'd already done some radio interviews with somebody, even from Wisconsin, a woman named Patty Anglin, and she had Acres of Hope, I believe, And so she had done some fairly affordable adoptions out of Liberia. We began there. We were interested in that. But then we did explore other, everything from foster care adoption to special need adoption. And two years later, we came back looking at Liberia again and worked with a adoption agency out of Milwaukee. I still remember writing out that sizable check to them. And then eventually in December of 2008, saw a picture of Michael. And then only later... In 2009, they were like, well, Liberia is closed to adoption. We thought, well, that'll just be a short time. And after hearing that they were closed to adoption, then the word came from Liberia that Michael has a younger brother, Habakkuk. Would you be open to adopting him? We prayed about it. We said yes to it and got approved with multiple smoke alarms in the house and all that and everything, radon testing, uh, carbon monoxide. But then ultimately, again, Habakkuk, weakened by malaria, contracting cholera, June 30th, 2009, he died. And that's where really... 
whenever I tell a story, I mean, it's not like it was a mutual. Peggy's the one who rose up. I, I learned that if you and your wife are looking at adoption, at least in our case, that the woman is adoption pregnant, just like the women carry the child physically when you're adopting, that uh, the woman will carry, in our case, it was a much more deep experience. So when Habakkuk died, that's where in a, in a much deeper place, uh, I'd say I was sad, but she was sad on a much deeper level. And that led to spurring her towards the action towards let's raise the money for the well, which did happen. And then as that went in, in before the rainy season in 2010, we weren't there for the dedication of the well. I remember very clearly it was a Friday night in May of 2010, looking at a slideshow of this well going in in Peleteyama. And Peggy, very strongly, she said, uh, I should have been there next time I'm going to be there. And I didn't argue with her. And uh, in October of 2010, she went on her first trip to Liberia, which was quite a story in its own right. But when she came back, I mean, uh, she's like, well, they have a well now, but they need a school. You know, the kids are living because they've got clean water. But for her, as a teacher by training, she was very like, let's get some schooling. And we can gladly say that they've had an initial school. And now with funds from another ministry, when I was there in November, I saw a much larger school building now. And so it's really exciting to see what's happening there. This dovetails pretty well, Peggy, with your training. I mean, one of the things that you were trained in was teaching English as a second language, or TESOL, as it was called when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. So did that in some way prepare you? Was there part of your intellect, your hope, your aspirations, which already included heading towards these other countries? When I was a teenager, I maybe thought I would be a missionary, but shortly after I got to college, my plans really changed altogether, and I really just focused on elementary education. But there's a part of me that did have a dream of being able to travel and to do something in another part of the world. So what's in your heart when you're 16, 17, 18, and now I'm you know rounding the corner into my 40s, and during that in-between time, I never, ever imagined that life would take us on this type of journey. The thing that kind of blows my mind is that you're doing this with four kids already, plus a fifth to be added, right? So you've got four teenagers from 11 up to 16. That will strike a lot of our listeners as counterintuitive. That's a very gentle way of saying it. They might have really strong adjectives to go with that. Have you had to deal with people? Sometimes I I can imagine some of your friends are trying to talk you out of this. It's like, maybe God really wants you to stay here or however it might be expressed. Have you dealt with that? Or was everybody just said, this is wonderful? How did it go? Well, it's probably my mom uh, had been the biggest opponent. I mean, she was more like, I'm going to pray that you don't and, and things like that. And, and it's a hard time even now embracing it. She read an interview that somebody from the Teamwork Africa ministry, Shadow Settle, did with our oldest daughter, Evelyn, who wants to start a dance studio in Liberia and the Phoenix Beauty Rising dance studio. And it's been exciting to see her putting that together. And my mom's like, well, that was a good interview. I'm still wishing you don't go. So I think it depends on the relationship and things. I mean, Peggy's parents had to work through it and... You know, in, in general, I think people are pretty gracious about it. They may at different point. One person who I met who he and his family had been missionaries. He's a college teacher. He taught in Singapore. You have a friend here from Malaysia. Uh, and so he had told me it wasn't encouraging. He just said, yeah, when you go, everything's the same, except it's 100 times harder. I'm like, wow, thanks you know, for that. So, I mean, yeah, there's various elements based on. But it's, you know, a lot of times it's based on people's own experience. And I think for us, 
we wouldn't have done it. It's just you walk out your journey one day at a time. And so, you know, trying to adopt led to a tragedy, but it led to a well, a school, an organization, more than 500 water projects, more than 100 sponsored kids, sponsored pastors, widow's oil project, village transformation. And so all sorts of things we hadn't anticipated. And two of the four kids have already been there. And the 16-year-old girl and the 13-year-old girl had good enough experiences. And it really helps when your oldest, the 16-year-old, had a really good experience. And she's the most enthusiastic about it because the influence of that oldest child. Well, that speaks well, both for your daughter and for the family that she's raised in. It's a lot of people. It's age 16 when you're halfway through high school. There's a lot of folks who just want to concentrate on making those couple years of high school the great success, the fulfillment. And yet, here's someone, let's go start a dance studio in Iberia. That's pretty wonderful. I interviewed a couple folks. I went to Rwanda back in 2008, and there's a couple Quaker missionary people who were doing projects there. They described that when they first arrived, they made the decision, they didn't have children yet even, when they first arrived in Rwanda, within two weeks they had armed burglary happen in their house. Some people might have taken that as a message to go the other way. You know, it's like, go back home. They didn't. Actually, that strengthened their resolve. What have been the items that have encouraged you or maybe discouraged you, made you think less favorably, more favorably towards this plan? In Quaker speak, I would say way opens. That is a description of when you're following will of spirit, things align themselves with your desires that the way opens before you, the path becomes clear. Have there been those steps, pro or con, for you? What do you think, Peggy? From almost the first time I visited Liberia in 2010, I've been to Liberia 11 times before now. And when I went on my very first trip, the thing that surprised me the most was how comfortable I felt there, how at home I felt, how things didn't seem odd or unusual or different somehow. It felt really like I belonged there. And so very early in the process and along the journey, I just felt a calling to Liberia. And that was five years ago. And so every time I would go there, I would deepen the relationships with our team there. Our friends there became like family to me. And it was very hard to come home in some ways. And my mind, my thoughts, my prayers were always there. And so I began a journey of just praying and saying, God, this burden that you've put on my heart, this longing that I have is almost overwhelming. And my prayer just began, God, would you either just take this burden away from me because it's so heavy, or would you open up the door for us to go there and be in Liberia, or would you just continue to give me the courage and the strength to just keep doing what I'm doing one step at a time and just, you know, the strength to just keep carrying this burden. And so a year ago, a door opened for us to be able to go. Up until that point, anytime I would talk about going, both from the U.S. side and the Liberia side, it just was not feasible. The role that I was playing with Teamwork Africa on this side, there wasn't anyone to replace me. The groundwork and the foundation for the ministry that we were setting was still being built. And so I just had to wait. 
And then last year we talked with one of our ministry partners that helps us with building our wells. He was talking about some new staff that they were adding. And I asked who was going to be their on the ground worker in Liberia. And he said, he didn't know. He's like, uh, do you have anyone in mind? And I said, yeah, I think you should hire my husband for that job. And he's like, do you guys really want to go there? And I said, yeah. And so he's like, wow, if you guys want to go there, we could really use your help. And so then that just opened up the discussion again, and this time the door was open. Now, wait a minute. Maybe I wasn't paying proper attention. Are you saying that Mark Halverson is now going to be a well site contractor? No, I don't think she's saying I mean, because that has probably developed even from that point. But I think just from my standpoint on it, I mean, the way, you know, living with her. And so she had all the trips. She had 11, I had four. We had one joint trip we took together in March of 2011 and, and another time where she was there for two weeks and I joined her for the last week. And then I led, a, was a part of a couple of teams uh, apart from her. And so, I mean, there was this growing sense in which, you know, well, we started Teamwork Africa with a Liberian pastor. He had the name, but the idea, the vision was to meet spiritual and physical needs through the local church spiritual, physical, and social needs, we say, right? The spiritual, the gospel, the idea of eternal life, physical, in terms of starting with clean water, but help with food if possible, that monthly bag of rice, and then social having to do with probably, you know, educational, medical, what have you. Medical would be the physical. But so I, I saw in her, I mean, she had this growing sense of coming home. And if Tony Bennett, whose birthday is today as we record this, but uh, left his heart in San Francisco, Peggy left hers in Liberia. And so there was a sense in which she was here, but she was she was so aching for the people there. And plus, as she did this in the cold Wisconsin winter, she increasingly loved the hot climate of Liberia, a tropical climate, and really wanted to be there and felt like she could be whole when she was there uniquely. And so I had to pray about it. And I remember a couple of different stories. This friend of ours, the ministry we partnered with, The Last Well, Todd Phillips started this, and they want to reach all of Liberia with the gospel and clean water by the end of 2020. And we've worked with them on these water projects. And when he was here in 2014, as he left, I said, one last thing, Peggy really wants to move to Liberia. And he's just like, you guys aren't going to move there. But a year later, it changed when he was like, well, if you're serious, we could really use it. But then also a friend of mine, Ron Loveland from Eau Claire, people know the Living Room Coffee House. They have uh, locations at Mayo Clinic Health System in Middleford. He had just said to me, you don't have to be as committed to Liberia as she is. You, you know, you're called to be committed to her. And that was really helpful to me. And as I prayed about that some over about a 10-day period, I, I felt like a breakthrough that came back to a famous verse that's used at a lot of weddings, Ruth 117, where you go, I will go, and your people will be my people. Different people may react to that. Well, that was Ruth to her mother-in-law, but one person once told me, but you're the guy or whatever. And that's fine. I mean, I just feel like there's different times where it says in Galatians 3.28, there's no male or female, but Christ is in all. And so God can speak to Peggy every bit as much as he can speak to me. And so while I don't know as much about Liberia or probably even love it as deeply as her, you know, I'm committed to her and our marriage and our family and, and this ministry together. Well, it's a blessing that you do have that perspective, that you can turn it enough over to God to be able to do that. Fears definitely play a part in any of these trips. Even before I went to the Congo two years ago, people were worried because there had been so much violence in the Congo, in particularly in the area where I went in the 20 years leading up to my trip there. There were some 6 million murders in which is essentially a, a two-county area, if you can visualize that. 
No, there wasn't that violence for the six or nine months before I went there in 2014. But it was still daunting. And just, what, a couple months before I go there, there's the Ebola outbreak in the Congo, but a thousand miles away. So I wasn't really worried too much about that. But these kind of fears make sense to pay attention to. The thing that I found clear, and you two are both young compared to me. I'm 62, and so, you know, I've got 20 years on you. When I made the decision to go to the Congo, one of the things I was clear about is I had lived my life the way that I meant. I was satisfied. So if I did die there, it wouldn't be a loss to my life. My life had already been lived as it should be. What fears do you have going that maybe you've dealt with or maybe that are still hanging over you? Or or maybe you've just reconciled, you, you refuse to see any fears at this point. Peggy, how's that look for you? I want to live my life for all it's worth and give it all I've got. And whether I live to be old or whether I die while I'm still young, at the end of it, I want to say I left it all on the field. And so I don't want to save something for later. I just want to give it all I have right now. And so I don't have a lot of fears for my own life. I want to just pursue the calling I feel like that God's put on us and just trust him with where that leads us. Probably the fears that I that I might have as we follow this journey is, you know, what does this mean for my kids? And, you know, what, how will this impact their lives? And, you know, our journey with adoption and Teamwork Africa and the traveling that we've done in western Wisconsin, we travel from church to church and small groups and Sunday schools and vacation Bible school. Our life looks different than most American families. And so our kids have sort of grown up knowing that, you know, they, they've grown up for the last five years, knowing that there's a little boy in Africa that's their brother, that they, two of them have never met, and the girls have met him once. But I can be concerned about, you know, what happens if they break their arm? You know, what kind of medical care would they get? And I was really happy to find out that there's a malaria medicine that they can take for the whole time that we're there, so that I don't have to worry about them getting that. And, you know, they're, they're finishing up their typhoid vaccine now. But I still want to trust that God loves my kids more than I do and that he has a plan for them. If God's calling Mark and I to go to Liberia, then he's calling them too. And so my prayer for them is that they would know that there's a purpose for them to be there too. And Evelyn, our oldest, obviously does as she has a passion for dance. And her mission is to give children an opportunity to express themselves through dance and to learn about Jesus. And I just think after all the trauma that the children in Liberia have been in, the opportunity to have a place where they can express themselves and feel safe and secure is such a beautiful vision that she has. And I think, you know, our 13-year-old daughter, too, just feels like there are some children in Liberia that would benefit from her care for them. And she is so good with preschoolers. She's just a very natural teacher. I think that Africa will impact them and lead them in the direction that God has for them. And I think that they will also impact Africa. You know, Peggy, the thing that led me to Africa was Peace Corps. So my arrangement is significantly different than yours has been and yours will be. For one thing, the United States government was paying for me to be there. It was modest by American standards, but plenty ample, certainly by Togolese standard. One of the things that I learned by spending my two years in Africa was I thought I was going mainly to bring something of value to them. 
which I think I did. I was a teacher in a high school teaching chemistry, physics, and math. And I think I did that job well, and I think and that's the feedback I got from my students and the administration there. The thing I didn't fully expect was how much I would be enriched, how much my life would be better, how much the course of my life would be changed by knowing a portion of the world outside of the United States. So I didn't ask you, Mark, yet, what about your fears or aspirations in going? I mean, I think this means you're giving up broadcasting on WWIB, which you've done for a lot of years now. Yeah, I started part-time there in late 1985 and worked my way towards full-time, even as uh, in the late 80s, for all practical purposes, full-time. And and so I guess a couple of things. From First John, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. I just got done filling the pulpit at Friendship Church in Mondovi in our listening area and uh, did a four-part series on the greatest, having to do with God's love is the greatest. Uh, Hopefully they were impacted, but I know I was impacted as the preacher sharing that. And so I think that's important. The famous missionary Jim Elliott was only married to his wife Elizabeth uh, for a year and a half. They had a child, but he died in Ecuador. But what he said famously was, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so we have received the greatest gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so to have a chance to go to Liberia, to co-labor with God, as the scriptures say we do, a lot of what I'm going to do is spiritual training and development of men, leadership training all across Africa. That's a need, but also to be a part of bringing the gospel and clean water because where the wells go in, we bring the gospel and I look forward to being a part of that team. And so as God leads, I think I probably had lesser concerns when I talked to Peggy about the things that, you know, keeping me here, like, well, I do enjoy my job and I enjoy our house and our neighborhood. And the roads are very good here. When our partner from Liberia was here, he's like, wow, I I believe in heaven. If you could have roads like this in the world. And our friend David Holmbeck for many years was with Youth with a Mission. And he's been to as many countries as anybody, 20 or so. And when he was in Liberia for two weeks in 2013, he said, I agree, these are the worst roads I've seen in the whole world. And he's seen a lot of them. And so, you know, when I take all of those things or the ease with which we get media or internet access, and as I laid those before my wife, she just said, oh, enjoyments and conveniences. And so I was like, yeah. And she just sort of, um, there they are, enjoyments is conveniences. And so she's, as you two high five each other, but the... You know, so she's worked at trying to see if we might be able to get a window air conditioner or however that might go. But again, you know, the, there's certain foods I have kind of regularly. I like using a microwave. 98% of this country we're going to doesn't even have electricity. So there's a lot of challenges. I think even the fact is, as I grab my phone here, when I was there last November, I met somebody from the World Food Program. And she told me that she'd been in four African nations and she said that the one we were going to go to is the one that's the hardest. So, you know, that doesn't, uh, in fact, specifically, here's the note. Uh, she says, well, I've been to Malawi, I've lived in Malawi, Ghana, and Namibia, and they're all easier to live in than Liberia. So my wonderful wife here, as you know, we haven't just chosen the continent of Africa, just anywhere. It's got, she likes doing hard things. And so it's, uh, hey, let's go to uh, one of the tougher countries in terms of poverty or corruption. So those are the challenges. Even, you know, it's a little bit daunting when you talk about the friends you knew in Rwanda. And and I've had people say, you know, you could certainly be much more targeted for robbery, a much greater likelihood than especially here in western Wisconsin. And so it is what it is. I mean, what am I going to do? 
you just take it one step at a time. I'm, I'm like you. I'm I'm not a real violent person either. So peace loving. I do. I like to do hard things, and I mean, it's not like I chose Liberia. In a lot of ways, I feel like God chose Liberia for us. There was a time after my first trip, and I was really upset about all of the things that I saw, the poverty and the sick children and the lack of education and opportunities. And I was really mad. And I was just crying out to God saying, God, why do you let these things happen in the world? Why don't you do something? And when I was finally quiet, I really felt like God said to my heart, Peggy, I am doing something and I want to do it through you. And I said, okay, I I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do any of those things. But God, if you're doing something in Liberia, I want to be part of it. And so it has been a journey of adventure since day one. And every day I wake up, I'm very encouraged by 1 Corinthians 1 that talks about not many of you are wise or powerful or rich, but God uses the foolish things to confound those who think they know better so that nobody can take God's glory. So if anybody sees anything good coming out of what we're doing, it's not because we knew what to do. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through Teamwork Africa is that a lot of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, go to developing countries thinking that they know what the problem is and how to fix it. And I didn't. I went to Liberia and I said, how can I help? What do we need to do? Like, you know, I, the first missions trip I went there, we had raised some money to do something. And so my friend and I sat at the table and we counted our money with our Liberian team. And I said, okay, this is how much we've got. What should we do with it? And my Liberian team looked at each other and said, we have never had Americans ask us what they should do with the money they brought. And I just, I was confused. I'm like, well, then how do they know what to do? Because I don't know what to do. And and so it's just, it's been a real blessing of true partnership. All of our programs are Liberian driven. They're all the ideas that our Liberian team has. When we talk about, we want to get behind churches and communities and say, what is it that your community needs? Do you want to start a rubber farm? Do you want to start a pig pen? Do you need a school? Do you need a medical outreach? What is it that will help you meet the needs of your community? And I had no idea that other agencies didn't do things that way. So I've learned a lot through the process, but I really feel like I've also been divinely directed in a pattern of how to do things that really empower people and don't diminish them. They're not beggars. They're smart people. They know what to do. They just lack some of the simple resources to be able to do the things that they want. And so we just try to get behind them and help them accomplish the dreams that they have. I had somebody ask me once, well, how do you get the people in Liberia to do what you want them to do? I mean, don't they, you know, mismanage your funds or whatever? And I said, well, no, because I'm just helping them do the things they want to do. And so there's no reason why they would want to divert money somewhere else. They're doing, they want want to start a school. So if I give the money for the school, then a school gets built, you know, but if I, you know, had a dream for building a university, but what they really needed was a medical center, you know, there'd be a conflict, but we just don't have that because we're helping them accomplish the things that they need. It sounds like you're going in with a lot of the wisdom that so many people lack 
going into that situation. And I'm really proud to know you both because you're doing that. By the way, folks, you're listening to Spirit in Action, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. On the web, you'll find us at northernspiritradio.org. On that site, there's more than 11 years of our programs for free listening and download. All kinds of people doing healing work for the world, just as Mark and Peggy Halverson are doing through Teamwork Africa. Also on the website for nordenspiritradio.org, you'll find links to our guests. So when you want to find teamworkafrica.org, you'll find the link there. You'll also find wwib.com, which is where Mark has been working since 1985. Also on that site, we have your ability to post comments. And we love two-way communication. It's not enough for us to be talking. We have to be listening to you. So post a comment when you visit. There's a place to donate. That's how this full-time work is supported, through your donations. It's not through government. It's not through corporations. It's through your support. So please make that donation when you come. But even more important, I would say, is to support local community radio. It's so important to have alternative news and music available to us that fits the locality. And so community radio is exactly suited for that. Start by supporting them. And then if you can get around, support Northern Spirit Radio and the other good works like Teamwork Africa. Again, we're speaking with Mark and Peggy Halverson. They're heading off to Liberia within the month. I am both impressed, pleased, and daunted by the amount of work they'll do. Because I know when I went back in 1977 to Togo, I was just a year out of college. I didn't have a house to deal with. I didn't have kids. There's any number of details of life that make it more daunting to do it as a family. But I think that also means that you're traveling with a significant environment of support. You've built up a ministry here. Teamwork Africa is a 501c3, so you had to go through the learning process to make sure how you do that kind of work. One of the quotes that I'm fond of from the Bible is that we need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Innocent as doves, you can find a lot. When I went in the Peace Corps, I was probably innocent as a dove. I was not very wise at that point yet. Fortunately, you're going at a point in your life when there's more wisdom in the situation. One of the things that I would find daunting about going to Liberia is I know it's been, shall we say, over the last 20 years, there's been an erratic governmental situation there. What's the situation currently like governmentally that you're inserting yourself in? Because you're there at the forbearance of the Liberian government. The civil war in Liberia ended in 2003, and after they had their first election, they elected Ellen Johnson's relief as their president, and she also won re-election after her six-year term, and that term will be up in 2017. So for the last 12 years, Liberia has been fairly stable and peaceful, and there are UN forces there and other African forces in the country to you know maintain that, but there hasn't been, it's been very peaceful overall. The UN actually is pulling out, or did pull out in May. So it's possible that by 2017, during the next presidential election, it could be a little bit bumpy. But overall, things there are going pretty well. I mean, the economy is sluggish and unemployment is ridiculously high. It's like 85%. And there is crime in the city and the, you know there is a risk of robbery and that kind of thing. We do have to be careful with our security and where we travel and who we're with. But overall, I don't feel a huge level of anxiety about the political unrest or violence in that way. Most of the people in Liberia 
are still recovering from that war and they just don't have the heart to return to it. So no one wants war to come back. Because I lived in West Africa, I think I've been more tuned in to African nations. And one of the things I'm not sure people in the United States realize in the 1800s, there was this movement for folks, descendants of slaves in the United States to go back to Africa. And one of the places where they did this settlement was Liberia. At a certain point, I understand that the descendants of the folks who had come back from the United States to Liberia were some 10% of the population, but they were the aristocracy, which was part of what the Civil War was about in Liberia. Is there still a legacy of that in the current day society there? Is there a two strata environment that you're working against? Is, are the 85% unemployment, are those the people who haven't had the privilege of the education? And uh, Because I don't think education is universal there by any means. Well, there's supposed to be free education, but as my friend in Liberia said, that the government free education is free of teachers, it's free of desks, it's free of books, it's, <laughs> it's missing almost everything. So there is just a fundamental need for a better education opportunity. Right now in the government, many government positions are held by indigenous people. So the disparity between the American Liberians, which are the descendants of the returned American slaves, and the indigenous people is less than it was prior to the Civil War. And so I don't see the tension between the ethnic groups as much, but there still is a huge disparity between the people in government who, unfortunately, Liberia is very corrupt, and the, there's the money that's on the table, and then there's the brown bag that's under the table. And so a lot of government is a very lucrative position. And so a lot of resources are squandered that are supposed to go to benefit the people, whether it's building bridges or starting schools or, or medical care. And so unfortunately, that still is the case. You very accurately predicted one of my questions. By the way, when I lived in Togo, they had a dictator, although he was called the president, he was a dictator. And I would describe it as a relatively benevolent dictatorship because he didn't allow that corruption to exist much. And I had traveled in other countries like in Ghana, next door to Togo, and I experienced the corruption. You have to pay a bribe to get through a traffic stop. And I guess my question really comes from the moral qualm I have about paying a bribe. Do you do something that greases the skids so that the well gets in? It seems like a real moral conundrum to me. Do you have to wrestle about that kind of thing too? My very first trip to Liberia was quite eventful. One of the things that I experienced was that I was separated from the other part of my team because I missed my connecting flight. So I arrived in Liberia alone and I was not prepared to go through immigration. I didn't have the address of where I was staying or the phone number of my contact person or all the other like significant information that's in the, on the immigration form. So when I went to the immigration officer and I didn't have that stuff filled out, he said, we can send you back right now if you can't give us this information. And so the man behind the window told me to put some money in my passport so that the, when the guard came back, he'd let me stay. And so I actually didn't have any idea what was going on. And so I just did what he said. I put $20 in my passport. The guard came back. He took the $20. He said I could stay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's actually my only experience with, with a, a bribe. 
our team in Liberia takes very good care of us. And so when there's a traffic stop or when there's a, when we come to a, a checkpoint going into a new district or county, our Liberian team takes care of all of that. So they just do what's ever customary. Other than that first experience, I haven't had to deal with that kind of thing in any other way. I was just talking to somebody the other day about the economy in Liberia and the acceptance of stealing and lying and that a lot of businesses employ the the employees that they employ. They know that their employees are stealing from them, so they pay them low wages. But they pay their employees such low wages that the employees have to steal. And so it's this awful cycle of how do you break that? Where do you, how do you live a moral, ethical life in a country where if I have a job, I will get paid such low wages that I'm not going to make it so that I'm tempted to steal. It's a really difficult situation. And I sense that you're going into it with eyes wide open so that you actually know the difficulty of the situation you're going into. So let's talk specifically about the projects that you've done and you're doing. So you've put in wells and you're starting a school. So what exactly is the vision that you see for the next one, two, three, five years? How long does your vision extend? Teamwork Africa is multifaceted because the needs of communities are different. One of the main needs that almost every community that we're part of is clean water. If they don't have clean water, that's always the very first need that they talk about. And so we've been able to partner with another organization called The Last Well, and they match us so that we can complete a water project for $3,000. So when we raise $1,500, they match our $1,500, and we can put a well in a community. We have been able to put in over 400 wells in the last five years. And so we're part of this project of trying to bring clean water to the whole country by 2020. Aside from the water projects, we also started a school in Lower Johnsonville where our campus is. It's called Great King Academy, and the motto is to be great, serve. As a teacher, my background in education, I'm very excited about being part of a school where we are giving children an excellent education, not so that they can have a good life, but so that because of what they have been given, they can give back to their community, that they can become good moral teachers, nurses, business people, government officials, and that they can help change that culture that's there. We also have a village school. There's two other villages that we're also part of helping them start schools. So Great King Academy will also be a teaching school in that I'm hoping that we can have student teachers come into our school and help teach them how to be good teachers and then send them to some of those rural areas that don't have the same educational opportunities. We're also building a medical center. It will be one of the larger medical facilities in Liberia. The building is almost complete. So we're going to just finish the building off room by room, and then we'll move our little clinic into that bigger building. And right now, our focus of the medical facility is women and children. So right now, we have a little tiny clinic, and they focus on delivering babies and treating children with diseases. We're also looking forward to providing quality medical care with compassion and kindness. One of the traditions in Liberia is that a lot of medical people out of frustration, lack of resources, I'm not sure why, but they can be very rude and uncaring to their patients. 
Arita Flomo is our partner in Liberia who's an RN and is heading up the clinic, and her mother died several years ago. What hurt her more than anything was that her mother did not receive the kind of care that she needed, not just the treatment, but that she didn't receive compassion from the medical people around her, and that led her into pursuing a medical career where she could be a change, where she could provide care for people when she sees somebody whose mother is ill, she could be someone who could come alongside and empathize with that. And so I'm very excited also about being able to change the culture of medical care in Liberia as well. How is this being funded? I mean, I know you formed a 501c3 Teamwork Africa, and again, the website teamworkafrica.org. Where are you finding the wherewithal to do this? When Mark and I went to Liberia the first time together, we went out to New Life Community, which is the campus where we're going to live. Peter had already built the foundation of the school and the medical clinic. And he told us his dream and his vision of what this school and medical center would be. And we asked him the same question. How in the world are you going to fund this? And he said, this is project one brick at a time. When we get enough money for one brick, we'll buy a brick and put it on the building. The school is complete. We have a 14-classroom school, and then there's a science lab, computer lab, library, and continuing education floor. We are as surprised as anybody where the donations come for those things. And some of the money for the medical clinic, the exterior of the building is complete, and we're still needing to pay off the zinc for the roof. But a lot of the money for that came from Liberia. We had one of our team members sold some family land and she invested that money into that clinic. You know, she felt like that was what the best use of those funds would be. We go everywhere, talk to anyone. We have business donors. We have individual donors. We have Sunday school classes. Like she said earlier, over the last five and a half years, we've gone north, south, east, and west to speak at uh, whatever church. Or I, I spoke at the Vacation Bible School for Chippewa Valley Bible Church last summer when Peggy was in Liberia with our now 13-year-old daughter, Grace, and they wanted it to be the fundraising project. And so whatever money came in through the VBS at church the following weekend, people were encouraged, like, well, gosh, we got such a good start. And then somebody else gave and somebody met. And then before you knew it, we raised $4,500 for three wells out of a VBS, a vacation Bible school. So the verse that has defined Teamwork Africa and, and all of this inexplicably is from Zechariah 4, 6, where God says, not by power, but by my spirit. And that really, I think, is it. There's not really an explanation. Peggy was doing some theological studies before we got into this. And, and more what's happened is just uh, being involved in international action, you know, what breaks God's heart and asking that that break hers and for the rest of us to varying degrees in our family. That's a part of it. And I think every American needs to say, when you talk about living there and putting it on the line and your future, like, what are you living for? I mean, if it's just materialism, what is that? You know, we hear so much about the American dream, but What is that? I've seen my grandma in the nursing home the last seven years of her life with dementia or my uncle, you know, just one of my dad's older brothers just drooling there. I'm like, that's not my goal. I mean, I don't think that's so. uh, Yeah, there's a a song from Sidewalk Prophets, uh, Live Like That. That's a real theme or anthem for Peggy and has reverberated out into our family. And just this idea of, you know, to give it all you got. And so. That's where I think collectively as a family, we're trying to do that. We're trying to follow the biblical Great Commission as opposed to having it be trumped by the American dream. I am really not a fundraiser at all. 
that is not, I'm not a say, I don't have a salesperson's personality. I don't like raising money for anything. But when I was in Liberia, I would have to give a greeting to the community that we were there. And I would say to them, I said, I will carry you back with me in my heart and I will tell your story. And that's what Mark and I have been doing for the last five years is just telling their story. Because I think there's a lot of people who really want to do something good. They just don't know what to do. And so when they hear the story and they trust that we really are doing what we say that we're going to do and the way that we're going to do it, that we're really helping people in Liberia achieve the desires that they have to meet their actual needs. And there's just people who want to get behind that. When Ebola hit, every morning I would wait by the phone to hear if our people were okay. And we lost two nurses and we lost two children and their families to Ebola. And when that happened, our Liberian team and I were like, what can we do? Like, what, how can we fight this disease? And the answer was simple. It was just every household needs to have a bucket and bleach. They need to be able to wash their hands every day. And so we just started a bucket campaign. When the word got out that a bucket, some bleach, and some soap would help prevent Ebola, people all over the country got behind us. And we, we sent thousands of dollars to Liberia. And actually, once we started distributing buckets to our families, we didn't lose another single family. But I really felt like people just wanted to know what they could do that would help, what would really make a difference. Our organization on the U.S. side is a bare bones, small, we don't even pay for office space. We keep our expenses on the U.S. side as low as we possibly can so that as much of our resources can actually go to Liberia to do the work that needs to be done there. Again, it's just beautiful work that you're doing with Teamwork Africa. One of the things I experienced having lived in Africa and then come back, and I imagine you've gone through this transition more so than Mark, because Peggy, you've been there 11 times, as you said. Living in a foreign country, I realize the excess that I have just as my norm here in the United States. The fact that I can have ice water whenever I want it, or that I can have water that comes out of a tap that I could possibly drink. There's any number of assumptions that we make, and people get bent out of shape if they can't have their ice water out of their refrigerator or something. I end up looking at the United States very differently, I think, because of my time in Togo as a Peace Corps volunteer. Has your vision changed towards what the United States is like since you've been spending time in Africa and in Liberia specifically, Peggy? The hardest time to come back from Liberia is right before Christmas. I remember coming back on a November trip right before Christmas and just seeing all the decorations and buying presents for people that you don't like and to get them things they don't really need. And it's very hard sometimes to not get really cynical and to not get really irritated by the waste that we have in this country. And so I've tried really hard to develop a grateful heart and to appreciate the opportunities that we do have here and that I can have clean water and that I don't have to worry about my children getting cholera or malaria and try to encourage other people to consider their lifestyle and what it would look like for them to think about people that live somewhere else. I, one of my favorite things to do is to go to schools and talk to children about what it's like to be a little kid 
in Africa. And to just compare, so you got up this morning and you went to the bathroom and you flushed the toilet and you brushed your teeth and you came downstairs and you had breakfast and you probably used your microwave or your toaster and you flipped on the light switch and then you got dressed and went to school. And a little child in Africa woke up in their mud hut and went out behind a bush and you know, maybe didn't have anything to eat and maybe doesn't even get to go to school because they have to go and get sticks to bring back to cook the daily meal and to be able to show pictures of what life is like in other parts of the world and to help people understand that we are all the same. We have so much more in common than we have different. And our lives, if we just happened to have the opportunity to be born here, we didn't do anything to be given the privileges that we have. And I think when we understand that what we have been given is not a right, it's a privilege. And that that privilege has certain responsibilities to care for people who weren't given the privileges that we were. And I hope that that just, I don't want to ever guilt somebody into feeling like they have to do something, but that they have been given the opportunity to do something to help benefit someone who wasn't given the same opportunities that they were. You speak so beautifully, Peggy. It's just, it seems so faithful to what you're really called to do. I'm actually kind of enjoying the fact that during this interview, you've been speaking most of the time, Peggy, and Mark, who spends a lot of time on the radio and speaks well and speaks powerfully, that you've been the person carrying this leading. It's I think that enriches the world when we each find our strengths and live from them, and that depth of connection. I want to thank you both for being so faithful to the calling, turning to spirit, finding where you're meant to go in the world, and not counting the cost, but counting the beauty that you're bringing to the world. I really think that the people of Liberia are fortunate to get to know you and your four kids and your soon-to-be five kids. I really think that this can only make a better planet that we're on. So thank you for being faithful to that work, and thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much for the opportunity to just share with you and, and with the listeners the work that we've been given the privilege to be part of. Thank you, Mark, for your interest, and to your listeners. To learn more, just uh, teamworkafrica.org, teamworkafrica.org. That's right. You know the website. There's always a link on northernspiritradio.org. Thank you to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's program. We'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.